I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shame full nakedness and soft to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. We've spoken about this on our Thursday scripture study. We've talked about the Laodicea church where they were neither hot nor cold. And when we're not hot and when we're not cold, God is about to spit us out of his mouth. We say things, I am rich, I am okay, I am young, I have youth. I have acquired wealth and I do not need anything else. But the scripture reminds us today in Revelation 3 that you do not realize that you are wretched. You are pitiful and you are spiritually poor and you are blind and you are naked. And therefore, we need to come back to God with humility and in repentance. Do you not realize what season we're in right now? Have you forgotten God's goodness over the last few years in your life? Are you too much of a fool? Are you too prideful? Are you too proud to not see that God is calling you to draw near to Him? Are we too foolish to realize that we are walking in a dangerous path, in a dark path of point of no return? We come to church on Sunday. We pretend and we worship. We lift up our hands. But during the week, our hearts are far away from Him. And we do not even touch the scripture. We do not dine with Christ. The scripture reminds us, to those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Is God disciplining you? Is God rebuking you in your heart? Do you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your heart? If you're not, then we have lost our way. For God disciplines his children. And if God is not rebuking you and disciplining you, we are far away from him. We are not his children. The Bible says, be earnest and repent. Here I am standing at the door, knocking at the door of your heart. If anyone hears my voice, is anyone here in this church? Do you hear my voice? Open the door. Open your heart. If you open your heart, I will come and eat and dine with you. And you will be with me. As I'm sharing this, I'm reminding myself of this. As October is National Clergy Appreciation Month, a time set apart aside to recognize the contributions and service of pastors, priests, reverends, ministers, and all the clergy members. And within Clergy Appreciation Month is Pastor Appreciation Day. And as I'm speaking about this, I look back to my past 
of the journey that I took, that God has led us here as a church to be here in this place. May we not forget God's goodness. May we come and not appreciate any individual or a person, for it is not because of me that we've come this far, church. We've come this far because of God. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with me. For God can use anything for His glory. So may you humble yourself right now, this very moment. Do not go through the motions and just sing songs and to look good in front of others. But may we turn to God with true humility right now, with hearts of repentance. Are you hot today? Or have you become cold for the things of God? I pray. I pray that our hearts will turn hot once again. May we repent and turn back to the Lord. If not, He will spit us out of His mouth, it says. Let us just turn to the Lord. And tell Him, God, I am poor. God, I am not rich. I am spiritually poor. I am wretched. I am pitiful. And I am blind. And I am naked. Heavenly Father, we need you right now. Let's just pray together. Turn to the Lord together. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we need you right now. We turn to you, God, at this time. Thank you. Holy Spirit, have your way with me. The glory of the Lord comes when we seek His face. The glory of the Lord comes when we seek His face. The glory of the Lord comes when we seek His face.
Father, everything here that we do in this place is all for your glory. It's all for your glory, God, from the beginning to the end. Until we take our first breath and until we take our last breath. It's all for your glory. Help us not to forget that. It's not for my glory. It's not for anyone's glory. But it's for your glory, for your kingdom. And for your righteousness. Lord, may us be hot before you right now. May we repent and turn to you with humility. Lord, we strip aside every pride, any arrogance, all of our accomplishments. We lay them down at your feet. For if it's not for you, everything is garbage. Everything is in vain. Lord, we need you right now more today than yesterday. Especially in this world where the sh- everything is shifting values, oh God, up and down. May we be grounded in the word of God and be steadfast in our relationship and our walk with you. Help us not to burn out. Help us not to grow weary and tired. But may we look to you and be strengthened today. As David was relinquished and, and he was reinstated and he was drawn near to you, oh God. Lord, may us draw near to you. And may we draw close to the heart of God. And may we have a heart like David, a heart after God's own heart today. We love you. We thank you. We pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, let me pray. And God's people pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. All right, God bless you, church. Let's take a moment to greet one another at this time. And let's transition now to our time of our message and our service. We're still in our Authentic Christian Christianity series. We're now in our second Samuel. And the title of today's message is this, Third Time's the Charm, Don't Give Up. Can we turn to our neighbor and say, Don't Give Up. Starting with our main passage here, Romans 8, 28. It says, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Amen. Again, going back to the title, third time's the charm. Never quit. Don't quit. Don't give up. All things it says, Romans 8, 28. Not just certain things, but it reminds us, Paul says, all things. For what? For our good. In every evil happenings in our lives, our God is able to turn it all around and use it for his purpose and for his will. For all things, every good and perfect gift, everything, all the good and the bad, everything, all the evil happenings, all the good happenings, God is able to turn it around for his good and for his purpose, it says. 
It is not for my purpose, but for his purpose. It says, according to his purpose. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who what? Who love him. If you love him, he works for all the things. God works for the good of those who love him. If you love him, he will work it out for good for him, for who have been called according to his purpose. Not my purpose, but for the purpose of God, for the glory of God. And here's the reality check. If you are not in Christ... If you are not rooted in Christ, if you do not have a relationship with Christ, this truth is not yours to partake in. Romans 8.28 does not apply to you if if you're not in Christ, if you do not belong in Christ. This truth cannot be claimed by everyone in this world. This truth cannot be proclaimed and claimed by the people who are walking in the street who do not have a relationship with God. This truth can only be claimed by those who are in Christ, it says, Romans 8, 28. And here's a reminder. For those who are in Christ, you must trust in the Lord only. Not in your careers. Not in your relationships. Don't even trust yourself. Trust in the Lord and in the Lord only. Never in this life's wealth and treasures. And through painful lives, painful circumstances, meaning in our sufferings, I pray that as Deep Roots Church, we'll find full joy in the Lord. May our hope remain and continue to be steadfast in God not just in the year 2020, not just in the year 2019, but right now is about to end, 2021. May we not remain in resentment, but live in forgiveness as God walks with us. May we endure any hardships or any persecutions for the glory of God. Amen? In everything we do, we do it for the glory of the Lord. Colossians 3.23. We do it for God, not for any humankind's human beings. So going to the title, Third Time's the Charm. What do I mean by this? I'm sure you've heard this phrase before. I'm not talking about being lucky or getting things done through our moral efforts or human efforts. I'm talking about here when I say third time's the charm. I'm talking about God fulfilling his promises in our lives. That it is God that will do it, not me. Not according to my efforts, but according to God and his timing. Everything is according to his purpose, as it says Romans 8, 28. According to his purpose, it says. According to his purpose and his timing. Meaning no matter how dire our situation may be, no matter how difficult our situation may be in our present right now, or how bad our situation may look right now in our present, God fulfills his promises to those who are called by God, to those who are in Christ, to those who love him. God works good for those who love him, who are in Christ. And David's life here is proof that God fulfills his promises always, no matter how long it takes. We know that in 1 Samuel chapter 16, when David as a shepherd boy, a young boy at the age of 10 to 15, a teenager, when God called him out of all the brothers, when Saul was still the king, it's proof that Samuel, 
He anointed David as king, but he was just a little boy at that time. So that's the first time where he was anointed as king by Samuel. Second time was David was at the age of 30. And we learned about this last week. That at the age of 30, he became the king of Judah, it says. It says in 2 Samuel chapter 2 that he became king over Judah at the age of 30. And we talked about Ishbosheth. We talked about Amner. We talked about these individuals that came before David. And that was his second time where he became king. So first time was 1 Samuel 16. Second time was 2 Samuel chapter 2. And the third time, third time's a charm, the third time where David becomes a king, he's now at the age of 37, and we're here in 2 Samuel chapter 5, in the passage that we're going to go over today. Now he's at the age of 37, he's 37 years old, and he now becomes, after Ishbosheth is gone, is dead, he becomes the full king of Israel and Judah. He unites the kingdom, finally, third time's the charm. And it is not because of luck. It is not because of his own human efforts. But it is because of God and his purpose and because God had allowed it. It was his call upon David's life before he was even born. Psalm 139. While I was in my mother's womb, before I was in my mother's womb, you created my inmost being. You knew me. You knew me, Lord, and you had a purpose and a call for me. After all the hard years in David's life, after all the hardship of him running away as a fugitive, not having a home or a country, running away, being accused by Saul, having spears thrown at him, after all the hard years of his life running away, being a nomad, God's promise was finally fulfilled in David's life. 2 Samuel, chapter 5, for the third time. David's kingship, it was not accomplished by human hands, works, or efforts. Yes, it requires human work. Yes, we know that we need to work as well. We need to work hard. We need to be faithful. But in the end, it is God that gives us the faith and the desire and the will to go ahead and to do God's work. Because he lives in you. Because you have been called by God. And that is why it was accomplished simply by God alone. For in my own, in the shell of my body, without the Holy Spirit in my life, in your life, we will not have any of this. We could not have made it this far. David never stopped trusting in the Lord. That's the key. Are you going to give up trusting in God because your situation is difficult? David never stopped relying on the Lord. So let us turn to our neighbor right now at this very moment. And let's remind them and tell them and challenge them. Don't give up. Let's go. Third time's the charm. Don't give up. Amen. Let's all turn to 2 Samuel chapter 5. Our second main reading here for today. Starting with verse 1. 
The title says, David becomes king over Israel. For those who are newbies in reading the Bible, you may think, oh, I thought he was already a king. Judah, I thought what happened in 1 Samuel, I thought he already became the king. Finally, everything, the kingdoms are united. And David becomes king over all of Israel, for all the tribes of Israel. Starting verse 1, all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you are the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people, Israel, and you will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. Verse 4, David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. Verse 6, the title says, David conquers Jerusalem. The king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off, they thought. David cannot get in here. Verse 7, nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. Verse 8, on that day, David has said, anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft to reach those lame and blind who are David's enemies. That is why they say the blind and lame will not enter the palace. David then took up residence in the fortress and called it the city of David. He built up the area around it from the terraces inward, and he became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. Verse 11, now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent envoys to David, along with cedar logs and carpenters and stonemasons, and they built a palace for David. Then David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. After he left Hebron, David took more concubines and wives in Jerusalem, and more sons and daughters were born to him. These are the names of the children born to him there. Shamua, Shobat, Nathan, Solomon, Epar, Elishua, Nephgek, Jephiah, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphelet. Verse 17, the title says, David defeats the Philistines. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? The Lord answered him, Go, for I will surely deliver the Philistines into your hands. Verse 20, So David went to Baal-perazim, and there he defeated them. He said, As waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So that place was called Baal-perazim. The Palestinians abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. Once more, the Philistines came up and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. 
So David inquired the Lord, and he answered, Do not go straight up, but circle around behind them and attack them in front of the poplar trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the poplar trees, move quickly, because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. Amen. We see a stark contrast between David and Saul. The way King Saul led his kingship as a king before Israel, David, we see a complete opposite. David, before he does anything, before he goes about and takes any action, he inquires of the Lord. And the Bible is very clear that the Lord was with him. And because the Lord was with him, David became stronger and stronger. It tells us and reminds us that he continued to grow stronger in the Lord when Saul grew weaker because the Lord was no longer with him. Third time's the charm. Don't give up. Even when you have it all, even when you have lost it all, turn back to the Lord. It was never too late for Saul to turn back to God. But Saul did not have the conviction. He did not have the heart to turn back to the Lord. For God was no longer with him. He got to a point of no return. A heart that is too hardened by sin and rebellion and arrogance and pride. But may we with humility right now, as David did, no matter how high or how low we go in this life, that we will turn back to the Lord in faithfulness. May we never Never not inquire of the Lord. Whatever we do, whatever decision we make, from the smallest to the biggest, no matter how old you become, may you inquire of the Lord as David did. And the scripture is very clear here in 2 Samuel chapter 5 that David did as the Lord commanded him. Will you do as the Lord commands you? Or will you do what your heart, what your emotions, what your feeling tells you to do. When we come to church, when we lift up our hands and worship, not because I feel like it, not because I think I feel the emotion, I don't feel any emotion or I feel emotionally led to do it, but will you make that choice today to choose the Lord and to humble yourself before God and do as the Lord commands you to do. Amen. Starting with point number one. Waiting in God is never a waste. Waiting in God is never a waste. Third time is the charm. David, he becomes king for the third time. First time, as I mentioned earlier, was first found in First Samuel chapter 16, where he was a teenager, 10, 15-year-old at that time, were anointed as king by Samuel, the prophet. Second time was found in 2 Samuel chapter 2. David was 30 years old and he becomes the king of Judah. After that, David at the age of 37 years old, he becomes the full king over Israel, over all the tribes in 2 Samuel chapter 5. Waiting in God is never a waste. Going back to verse 4, David was 30 years old when he became king. And he reigned 40 years. 
In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years, meaning it took David about 22 to 27 years for him to become the full king of Israel. Depending on his age, at the age of 10 or 15, we know if you do the math, it took David about 22 to 27 years of waiting for him to become the rightful king over Israel. And we understand, we've been in this journey together, in the story of life of David, that David's life was full of ups and downs. He waited on the Lord. He spent many, many, many difficult years just running away as a fugitive, a man without any honor. People were against him. People spread rumors against him without a home or a country. But during this process, we understand that God was with him and God brought people, godly people, for them to be with him, for them to walk with him. And God fulfilled all of David's needs in his time of Cave of Adullam when he's running away in the desert, when he was a fugitive, God fulfilled all of David's needs. When God calls you, he fulfills all of our needs, no matter how dire our situations may be. Got a call from one of my old pastor friends that I went to seminary with. I didn't really share about the move and all the things and lost contact for a little bit. Uh, telling me that he was sharing a good news, which I'm not really going to share right here, but it was personal. But he was saying that, dude, I drove by and I saw the building. I saw the, the sign. I was like, which building? Because we had the sign in the other building. And then he was right, this road, and just reminded of God's faithfulness, just the way everything happened. I know that journey has at times been tough, but also at the same time very good because the Lord was with us and he guided us. Meaning as faithful men and women of God, we must trust in the Lord and be steadfast in our walk with him. You must fight. You must persevere as David did. For God is with us every day every day through all of our sufferings and circumstances you know being faithful to god and being faithful in god is not just a season a year a particular season of your life it is life's work you understand this is something that you will not finish until you take your final breath this is your final project that you will never finish in this life because you have to continue to work on it. It is life's work. It is life's journey for all men and women of God to suffer, to find joy, and to live this life well every single day, persevering, enduring. When you fall, you get right back up. When God gives us a promise... We understand that it does not happen overnight, and we see it with the story of David. At the age of 10, 15, it didn't happen overnight. It took many years, 22 to 27 years. Imagine waiting that long. Can you imagine what was going through David's heart 
when the people who were against him at one point, and they turned to him and they said, we are your own flesh and blood. Can you imagine what was going through David's heart after all the journey, after all the rejection that he went through? At the age of 37, becoming the full king of Israel. Nothing happens overnight. It takes years and years and years of waiting and trusting in the Lord. And the Bible is full of waiting and waiting and trusting in the Lord. For if you get something overnight, if you get something easy, then we easily forget. And we see it in scripture over and over again. Abraham and Sarai, before they were Abraham and Sarah. At the age of 75 and 65, they're called. God gives the promise, I will make you into a great nation. Where I'm going to bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. Meaning, I am on your side, Abraham and Sarah. I am on your side. I am with you. Imagine having God on your side. And of course, they're not perfect. They make mistakes. They make excuses. They lie. But in the process, God goes over and over and over and over again. God reminds Abraham, look around you. Look to the north, to the south, to the east, and to the west. All the land that you see, I'll give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. It says in Genesis 13. So when they left their land at the age of 75, Abraham, Abraham at that time was 75 years old, Sarai was 65 years old. 25 years later, when Abraham becomes 100, and Sarah at the age of 90, 25 years, she was barren. She could not give birth. But the promise of God is fulfilled. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. How is that possible, God, when I don't have a child of my own? 25 years they had waited, and God fulfilled his promises. But in that process, David and Abraham and Sarah, they had this in common. They trusted in the Lord. They were faithful in their journey before God. They were faithful in their trust before the Lord. Another character, Moses. He was a prince of Egypt for 40 years. At the age of 40, he kills a man to save a fellow Israelite. And then he runs into the desert of Midian. Becomes 40 years again. 40 years he stays as a shepherd away from Egypt. 40 plus 40 is 80. At the age of 80, that's where he encounters the burning bush where God calls him. At the age of 80, I'm sure he thought, this is my life. This is it. I just live here in the desert. Even David, I'm a fugitive now. We know it as readers because we know the story of the ending. We know the journey. But 
Did they know? How could they know when tomorrow is not certain? When tomorrow is not guaranteed? When God, I cannot see what's in front of me. I can't even see what's in front of me now. I can't even see what's tomorrow. How can they have such trust and faith in the Lord? God calls Moses at the age of 80 to go back to Egypt. And then he rules and he becomes the leader of Israel in the desert for another 40 years. So 40 plus 40 plus 40. As a lawgiver, as a leader of the Israelites. Everything takes time in God. It's all about the waiting game. All in his timing. And waiting in the Lord is never a waste. Never a waste. It's all about being faithful in the process. And it's never a waste. In your hardship right now, it is not a waste. Look to him. Look up to the Lord. Look up, men and women of God. The scripture reminds us. Look up to God. Saul's kingship happened instantly. Do you remember the story of Saul? When he's looking for the donkeys? He's aloof. He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't even recognize who Samuel is. The greatest prophet in all of Israel. The most famous man in the land of Israel. He was spiritually blind. Saul's kingship happened instantly. Like instant rice or instant noodles. Later I hear Angela's going to do instant ramen. I ask her, what are you making? Surprise. She had a cup ramen in the back and water. <laughs> water boiler to boil the water with. Actually, we have water here. David's kingship happens slowly. Like a crock pot, hot pot. Slowly. Like a slow cooker. Little by little. Little by little. Little by little. Testing, testing, David. Testing, test after test. You know, tests are good for us, men and women of God. Tests are good. Being tested is a blessing. Adam and Eve, they failed their tests in the beginning. And they were ex- excommunicated out of the garden. Years later, the offspring of Adam and Eve, the perfect human being, Jesus Christ, comes. He's tested in the desert 40 days and 40 nights, and he overcomes in the test in the wilderness. And he dies for all of mankind, and he rises again, ascends to heaven, sits at the right hand of God, the mighty. And because you and me Because we have been crucified with Christ and we no longer live. I no longer live. Because Jesus overcame that test. And because he lives, we too can pass all of our tests through Jesus Christ who strengthens us. David's kingship happens slowly, slowly, and slowly. And if you turn to Psalm 37... For I'm going to be basing this, Psalm 37, the sub-points, the basing the sub-points from this passage. 
but not all of it, just doing verse 5, 6, 7, and 34. Not really 6, but I put it in there just to keep the consistency. But let's go ahead. Verse 5, it says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn. Your vindication, vindication means justice, like the noonday sun. Verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry it out, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Verse 34, hope in the Lord and keep his way. Can we all read that together? Ready? One, two, three. Hope in the Lord and keep his way. In our waiting, so point A, commit to the Lord. Letter B, trust in the Lord. Meaning be still and do not fret. Let us see hope in the Lord. Let us D wait patiently. Let us E keep His way, not my way, your way. As Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, not my way, but your way, Lord. Not my will be done, but your will be done. May that be your prayer today as you're waiting. God, not my will, not keeping my way, but keeping your way for my life. When we keep his way, it's not just about the attitude of your heart, but it's about transforming what's inside into actions. It's not just the input, but the output. Put it into your action. Keep his way. For the scripture is very clear with this. And I want to remind you this. And if you forget this, I want to remind you once again. It says in Isaiah 55, verse 8-9. It says, God tells his people, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Therefore, put your thoughts aside, put your ways aside, but trust in the Lord, in his thoughts, in his ways, for his ways are greater than our ways, than our thoughts. And the lesson from here is this, that when we wait in God, it is never a waste. And we are reminded here today that in our waiting, God is teaching us to remain faithful in our present. And when we're faithful in our present, remember third time's the charm as David. He becomes, as he became the king of Israel. And the situation was so dire and so blinding when he was in it. He couldn't see what was ahead. May you be faithful right now, where you are, in your prison, in your persecution, in your hardships. If you're going, undergoing suffering or hardship in family, trust in the Lord. Trust that God will aid you 
and that God will walk with you. For he is preparing you for tomorrow. He is preparing you for the future. Men and women of God, be faithful in your waiting. Amen? Be faithful. It is a blessing to wait in God. Waiting in God is never a waste. And Joseph, many favorite characters, but one of my favorite characters. What does he say in Genesis 50, 20? You intended to harm me. Meaning you meant evil against me. He's talking to his brothers. If you talk about someone who had something wrongful things done to his life, there's no drama, no TV show, no movie, that can, no other story that can compare to Joseph's story. What they did to him was pure evil, what his brothers did to him. You intended to harm me. You meant evil against me. But God, but God intended it for good. To what? To accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. For if Joseph did not go to Egypt, if Joseph did not go through the suffering and the persecution and the trial, all the people, not just Egypt, but the land surrounding the land of all the lands around would have died. For there would been, have been a seven year of blessing and seven years of famine in the land. And Joseph was the only one that was wise enough that God spoke to, that God was with, that God used to save many people, including his own family members. Now imagine if God answered all of Joseph's prayers while he was in prison, while he was wrongly accused by Potiphar's wife, when things were so difficult, when he was sold into slavery by his own blood brothers, by his own family members. Imagine if God had answered his prayers during that moment. Joseph's praying, God, rescue me. I'm innocent. I need you right now. Take me out of this prison. And Joseph was forgotten in prison. In years, he was in prison. I'm sure in his mind, this is my end. This is it. I don't see any lights. There are no windows. I'm stuck. Imagine if God answered his prayers in that very moment. That many would have died. What people intended for evil, God used it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. If God had answered Joseph's prayers prematurely, the promise of God would not have been fulfilled. I want us to take a moment to remember our past, of all that God has done in your past, and what you think that God is doing in your life right now, today. Do you know who your God is? Because I pray that you would declare with your own voices, my God is a faithful God. 
who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13.8 tells us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. James 1.17 says, Who does not change like shifting shadows. Psalm 102.27, But you remain the same and your years will never end. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, Because I, the Lord, do not change, you descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. Again, Isaiah 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Because I, the Lord, do not change. Because I, the Lord, do not change. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. Randomly, I thought about this when I was reading this. If there's anyone with the last name Chi, it'd be cool if you name your first son with Mala, right? Malachi, Malachi. That'd be pretty cool. God remains the same. God will never change. He's the same yesterday, today, and he will be forever, and God remains faithful always. Therefore, all we can do in our waiting is be humble, repent, be reminded of his faithfulness, remember his faithfulness, remember your testimony in Jesus Christ, not just when you're at missions, but right now. Point one was, waiting in God is never a waste. Point number two, knowing whose you are is key. Knowing whose you are is key. Who do you belong to? Are you a child of Satan, of the world? Or you're a child of God. You cannot be both. You cannot be three in one. You are a child of God or you are not a child of God. And the question, do you know who you are? Do you know whose you are? Do you? Do you? The way we see the significance of our creation is by learning the way that we were created by God and that we were made. And the Bible is very clear that God made us. Yes, God made everything in the universe by speaking everything into life, into existence. But humans were special. They were crafted. Just like when I used to do photography, there's a difference between digital and when you did things, film. Film is very intimate. You go in a dark room, you take the film out, you put it in the container, you put the chemical in, and then you go into the dark room with the little red light. You go in and it's very intimate. Whenever you want to expose or you want to take out the shadow, you put your hand. You could use any instrument to just expose more light. If you expose more, the picture gets darker. Darker. 
There are filters that you use to bring more contrast, to bring more light into a picture. And it's a process from one container to the next. And then you hang it up and you see the picture. Well, in the container, you see the picture come up and then you hang it up to dry. Digital is just click, 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 done, finished. Something special about the way that God created humankind. The Bible tells us that out of all creation, we were the only beings made in the image of God. It's very clear in the image of God. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. The Lord God formed men, man and woman. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Meaning, imago Dei, in the image of God. This is what sets humans apart from animals. You and I, we have the Spirit of God within us. The Bible tells us that God breathed into our nostrils. He gave us the breath of life. Having the image and the likeness of God, we are made to resemble God. How? Letter A, spiritually, the breath of life. We're not like animals. Planet of the Apes is not real. Spiritually, we were made and created to resemble God spiritually. B, mentally, your mind. Human beings are able to choose, reason, create, paint, destroy, name pets, intellect, freedom. Mentally, we are called in our choice, in our freedom to choose God, to be in line with God in our minds, with him. Amen? Let us see morally. Morally. Creating right laws. Knowing which laws are good and full of just, justice or not. Like law that legislates abortion in 24 weeks. Turning away from evil. To have and to feel conviction. To have guilt and shame before God. All of this, the way we legislate laws, the way we create laws, the way we create boundaries, all this shows the moral compass. And we do not, as human beings, yes, we do have the moral compass, but that moral compass comes from someone. And who is that someone? It is God. It's from the image of God. That is why we are able to know and discern what is good, what is right, and what is wrong, and what is evil. For we are created in God's image. Spiritually, mentally, morally, and lastly, letter D, in fellowship. In fellowship. We were created for perfect fellowship with the Father. Just like the Trinity. As God's fellowship with the Trinity is perfect. And we humans, we have a need for fellowship. To fellowship with our maker. And we see it, right? We don't like to be alone. We, we see it in the way we interact with people. We desire to hang out with friends. 
desire to care for an elder, being kind to a child, making new friendships, fellowshipping with brothers and sisters. These all show us that we are created in the image of God in Imago Day. So again, spiritually, mentally, morally, and in fellowship. Genesis 2.7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, God breathed into your nostrils. <laughs> and go close to their faith and now you breathe into their nostrils. <sighs> my bad breath. My breakfast. The scripture is very clear that he breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. And therefore we became a living being. You know, the word here to form, formed, is describing a master, an artist rolling up his sleeve and carefully crafting his masterpiece. It's like something that you see on YouTube, like artists creating their masterpiece, sculpting, creating what we have vision in our minds. And the question is, am I the sculptor? Or is God my sculptor? Are we the potter of our own lives? Or is God our potter? Who is the engraver, the carver? Am I or God? Who? Who is in control of your life? Like a potter molding clay, God molded men and women. And this here shows us it's different from the rest of all creation. Instead of speaking us into creation, God got intimate with us, intimately involved and formed us with the utmost intimate details. He did not speak us just into existence, but he breathed life into us. He invested himself into us for a life, for a life to not to live for yourself, not a life filled with your own glory, but for the glory of God, for you to have life, not just to exist in this world and be gone, but to know your maker and to have a relationship with the Father. Do you know whose you are? Have you forgotten whose you are? The fingerprints of God, of the Master, permanently imprinted in our bodies, within us. You are his workmanship. You are his masterpiece. No matter how short, how tall, or how big your nose is, or small your nose is, how big your eyes are, or small your eyes are, we are God's masterpiece. Whether we have a limb, or no limb, whether we are able to walk or not walk, whether we are able to speak or not speak, whether we are blind or able to see and not see physically, you are God's masterpiece. There's nothing wrong with you other than the sin in our lives. We must repent and turn to our Father in heaven. His fingertips are imprinted 
into you. The life of God, breathe. Breathe into us. St. Augustine said this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. You're not meant to live this life for yourself. Apart from God, you have been created to be God's workmanship. You're his masterpiece, created in Christ to do his good works. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it says this. Let's all read it together. Ready? One, two, three. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And here's the key. For we are God's handiwork, meaning workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are God's handiwork. You are God's workmanship. You are God's masterpiece. Why? Just so that you can be in a pedestal somewhere so people can watch you and praise you? When people see the work, they see the artist, the maker. That's what gives it the value, not the actual art. Who created it? That's what gives the value to the masterpiece. You're God's masterpiece. You're God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus. You're called to do. Do what? Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Knowing whose you are is key. Knowing whose you are is key. Last point here. Number three, inquiring of the Lord is a lifetime must. Inquiring of the Lord is a lifetime must. It is a lifetime of must, a requirement, a lifetime of obligation, decision, a choice that you make every single day that we must make to follow God every single day. Verse 19, verse 23, verse 25 tells us this. Verse 19, starting with verse 19, 2 Samuel 5 says this, So David, inquire of the Lord. Shall I? Will you? Verse 23, so David, inquire of the Lord again. 25 says, so David did as the Lord commanded him. Not the way that David thought was the right way, but he did what the Lord commanded him to do. Do you remember the story of Kayla? Back in 1 Samuel chapter 23, when David was a fugitive, when he was a fugitive, David inquired of the Lord. As a fresh king, David inquired of the Lord. He inquires of the Lord his whole life. Even when he became king of Judah only at the age of 30, 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1, it says, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go where to? He was conversing with God because he 
was close to the heart of God. And he spoke to God. And God spoke to him. Inquire of the Lord. To inquire of the Lord is a lifetime must. 2 Samuel 2.1 Inquire, shall I go? Where to? 1 Samuel chapter 23 Inquire, inquire. And we see here in 2 Samuel chapter 5 Inquire, inquire, and did as the Lord commanded him to do. And whatever we do in this life, in this world, in this lifetime, inquire of the Lord for direction and for guidance. And I'm ending with this letter A. And defeats inquire of the Lord. And victories inquire of the Lord. It's a point I've used in the past. But it's a reminder to you and me once again. And defeats inquire of the Lord. And victories inquire of the Lord. In victory, seek the Lord. And defeat, seek the Lord. When life knocks you down, get up and turn back to God. When life puts you in higher position, knee down and turn back to God. No matter how high you go, No matter how difficult your situation is right now, turn back to God. Only in Him will you live. Nothing else can save you. When life knocks you down, get up. Turn back to God. When life puts you in higher position, knee down and turn back to God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And may we declare as Joseph did, 
at the end of it all, and even right now, you intended to harm me. You meant evil against me. But God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. Amen. Just in the whispers of our voices right now, can we all turn to the Lord in our own respective places? Seek Him while He may be found. Turn to Him, run after Him, kneel down and praise Him. Pray to Him, for He is listening to you. For he has been waiting for you. He's been drawing near to you. Speak to him. Listen to him. And hear his voice. Let us pray together.
Begin to do His work in 
we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Though remember, third time is a charm in David's life. With this steadfast faith in your faithfulness, O oh God, in your purpose, in your call upon David's life, we're reminded of the call that you have placed in our lives. And we will remain faithful and steadfast till the end. We are reminded today that waiting in you, God, is never a waste. That when you give us a promise that does not happen overnight, Yes, even though it may take years and toils of hardships and sufferings, we will remain faithful. And in that process, we'll commit to you, we'll trust in you, we'll hope in you, and we'll wait patiently for you. And in that process, God, we will keep your way, not my way. And may we know whose we are, for that is the key. May we know you spiritually, mentally, May we resemble you morally. May we be with you in fellowship. And may we inquire of the Lord, for that is a lifetime must. It is a requirement, an obligation, a choice that we must make as men and women of God every single day. Lord, may we inquire of you as David did when he was a fugitive, when he was a king of Judah, when he is a full king of Israel. In our defeats, Lord, we inquire of you. In our victories, we inquire of you. When life knocks us down, we will get up and turn to you, my God. When life puts us in higher positions, we will knee down and turn back to you, my God. For we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Lord, thank you for everything, God, from the smallest details to the big picture. We thank you and we honor you. May the name of the Lord be praised. It's all for your glory, O oh God. May my life do one thing, and that's to point to you, to give all the glory to you. That when we seek your face, that we will know the glory of God, the heaviness and the power of God. You are so big and we are so small. We need your help, O oh Lord, every single day. We need your help to overcome and to be victorious. And in Christ, we are victorious. We will be victorious. We seek your face. We give you our everything. We love you. We thank you. Pray all these things. In your precious Son, Jesus Christ, let me pray. And God's people pray. Amen. Amen. And amen.